0: Hi, and welcome to Financial Residency Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Last week, we talked about locum tenants with Dr. Nick Kuznizov. We started to learn a little bit about the lifestyle and why people choose this type of employment. This week, we're going to continue our discussion about locums, but focus more on the financial and business aspects. I'm actually welcoming back two previous guests from the show, Dr. Katherine Sarnowski and Dr. Daniel kadek Welcome back. I'm glad you guys could both join me.
1: Thanks so much Thanks for, for having, having us, Amy.
0: I think both of you have actually chosen locums as your preferred way of practicing medicine. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about why you made that choice?
1: Maybe start with you, Catherine. I picked locums because of the flexibility and autonomy over my schedule and the ability to incorporate a lot of adventure both into my work life and my personal life. It really offers me the chance to see so much of the country to work with a lot of different patient populations, see what it's like to be part of a bunch of different communities, learn about the outdoors in all of the areas, learn about different practice styles, you name it. It's been super eye-opening, tons of learning, tons of fun, great lifestyle for me. What about you, Danny?
2: I echo exactly what was just said. I love the flexibility. You know, seven on, seven off works really well if you have a family or a certain structure that you need. I, on the other hand, have missed opportunities where when I was working as permanent, I had to really struggle to get people to cover my shifts so that I could do medical mission trips abroad and potentially even take a little extra time To see those areas. So, when I was in Tanzania, I worked for two and a half weeks in a clinic and I wanted so badly to summit Kilimanjaro while I was there because I was outside of Arusha. I was working with the Maasai and (laughs) I'm looking up at that beautiful mountain every day. And unfortunately, I couldn't get two night shifts covered. It's a first world problem. I totally understand that. However, I do feel that we work so hard. And so being able to have a good vacation, a good rest time, an accomplishment, a lifetime achievement that we want to do, having that schedule inflexibility flexibility was difficult for me. So when I switched over to locums in 2019, I basically took a lot of me time. I took a full month off at one point and went to Iceland for two weeks. And then I came home and had a two week staycation another time I took a month off and spent two weeks touring Madagascar. And then I worked in a clinic for two weeks. And then at another point, I took three and a half weeks off and split that among Barcelona, Munich and Dubrovnik. And I also had a point in time where I took two and a half weeks off and worked on some community projects in Puerto Rico to help rebuild after hurricane damage. And so while I work very hard, I feel like I have these long periods of time that I'm able to take off. Even in 2020, when it became very obvious that everybody was on lockdown, I was able to take a month off after rescuing a high risk dog and putting in a lot of time during that month in training my dog, who is now one of the most stable dogs ever. So I very much enjoy being the master of my own schedule, but also being able to learn different styles of medicine, different practices. And I find many medical directors often ask me, hey, so you see how things are done at other places. How do you think we could improve our system?" And I really respect medical directors who ask for that input, ask for my experience.
0: I know talking to both of you just now and before the show, I think I'm going to submit my resignation tomorrow and try and become just as fascinating as both of you are. You, you're
2: so interesting and you do so many oh cool things. Gosh.
1: Well, <laughs> you can always borrow
2: one of my bikes. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and listening to Danny and everything that she's been up to with her travel adventures, I'm looking at our video and I know your listeners can't see this, but we're both sitting in swivel chairs and neither of us can sit still. It's like a perfect <laughs>
2: description of our lives. <laughs> (laughs)
0: Well, in doing locums, is it necessary to set up an LLC, maybe to protect yourself financially, legally?
1: I think you can find a lot of different opinions on that. I did not set up an LLC. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but our medical malpractice is meant to cover us. And I think when people look at LLCs and S corps, they're looking for liability coverage. As long as we have appropriate medical malpractice, I don't feel like I need additional coverage above and beyond that. So that was the personal choice that I made. I know I've heard other people make the opposite decision with the same information, which is totally reasonable.
2: So I am that person who is on the (laughs) flip spectrum. Part of that comes to being raised in a family with seven attorneys in order to go playing out with friends as a teenager, I had to submit a reasonable argument on why it was okay for me to go do things growing up. So I always think in those terms, I wouldn't say that I practice medicine in a CYA manner, but I do always make sure I have all the documentation that I need. And I run everything, every business decision I ever make by both of my brothers and my stepdad who are attorneys who are married to attorney, <laughs> my brothers are married to attorneys too. So I went with an LLC just thinking, okay, that's $500 upfront and a hundred dollars every year to renew. And with that, I was able to set up a SEP IRA for retirement and therefore everything is in the LLC's name and nothing is in my name personally from that sense. So that's why I chose the route that I did.
1: And I assume, are
0: both of you paid as 1099 employees?
1: I am primarily paid as 1099. When I work with all the locums companies, that's all 1099 work. I do have a per diem contract that I set up, which is an employed position. It's a W-2, but it's a zero assigned FTE. So I get some additional benefits with that one that I don't with my general 1099 work. One, it comes with a slightly higher income because you can lose the (laughs) middleman for that part. So then that can save the hospital something. And then it affords me a little bit extra income. And I do get a few of their benefits. I think I get a little bit of the retirement match. And then otherwise it's pretty similar to locums in terms of housing is reimbursed and licensing is reimbursed. Those basics. The rest is all 1099. And then I have like Danny, my own SEP IRA. I have my own healthcare insurance. I have my own HSA based off of my insurance plan. Those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head
2: primarily 1099 i decided if i ever want to go back into the perm lifestyle i would like to join kaiser <laughs> and so as a result i'm a w2 per dm with kaiser i'm a kaiser patient having the ability to work with so many hospital systems i found that i like the kaiser system personally and I, I know everybody has their opinions about every hospital system but i really appreciate the Kaiser system and this is not a promotion or anything like that, but I always felt if for some reason something goes belly up and there's an opening available, then I have my foot in the door. Everyone's worked with me. I play well in the sandbox. And so that would give me a better chance to rejoin a permanent team if something were to happen. And that were the decision that I needed to make.
0: That makes sense. Do you have access to insurance by doing that type of employment as well?
2: No, I do pay through Marketplace, but Mm -hmm. I think it's a very reasonable rate that I pay as a single person. I pay $305 a month.
1: That's not bad at all. Nice deal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. I go through the Marketplace. That doesn't include dental, but dental I think is $72 a month. So
0: That's much better than I would have expected. So how does it work with FICA? If I'm not mistaken, the W-2 employee pays, I think, 6.2% of their gross income into Social Security and then 1.45% into Medicare. And that's for the first $147,000. Do you have to end up paying 100% of that since you don't have an employer matching? Or is there some kind of break you know, for self-employed
1: people? I'm paying fully into that. That is one of the disadvantages of locums from a financial perspective. You can certainly get a lot of benefits by being a hospital employee mm-hmm. that we are piecing together on our own. Danny and I have obviously figured it out, made it work for ourselves, but there are certain ways that you have to mentally calculate how much extra you are paying by the end of the year that you have to pull out of your 1099 and mentally budget for. Okay. Well, I believe I'm paying the full whatever 15. percentage. 15.3% <laughs> <of that> total. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: I am as well. Typically what I do is quarterly. I do a PL. quarterly. It takes me a total of maybe 30 minutes and I send a PNL to my CPA and he sends me little vouchers. This is who you pay. This is what state you pay. This is how much you pay federal. And they take care of all of that for me.
0: Okay. I think there's some benefits coming on the other side of that, you know, equation too. I think you have some write-offs that W-2 employees don't have. So I'm sure Many that balances.
2: Right-offs. So many write-offs. And again, if you hire a good CPA or if you are inclined and, and your brain thinks of these things, there's been plenty of times that my CPA says purchase this or this things I wouldn't have thought of to include or to submit towards the end of the year. So we usually have you know, a good hour-long conversation and then a lot of email exchanges. And then they put together a beautiful package that the IRS is unlikely to want to audit. (laughs) (laughs) It does sound like a good CPA. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah. I try to keep a running list of anything that I could list for deduction purposes. I Find that I put a lot on there that I have to ultimately list as already reimbursed because the locums companies will reimburse a lot of our mileage, housing. So anything like that, I might keep track of it. But once I get that reimbursed, I have to take that off of the list that I'm sending to the CPA. But you can still do anything that you need to utilize for your work, your computers, your they can do parts of your phone bill. Mm-hmm. Anything, I leave all, ultimately it up to the CPA, but I just list everything I can think of. Yeah.
2: I have a room in my house that is my office. They ask for exact measurements, but even my computer, my laptop, buy new stethoscopes, new scrubs. I like to have my name monogrammed on my scrubs work-related dinners, CME, mm-hmm. travel for CME, travel that doesn't get reimbursed. Yeah. There's a lot out there that yeah. if you have a good CPA, you may look at their sticker price and go, that's a lot of money. And at the end of the day, they're saving you so much more money. <laughs> yes. Definitely worth it. And they, they are attacked right off as well. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can you guys talk about the retirement investment benefits that you have access to that maybe a W-2 employee doesn't have access to?
2: So with your SEP IRA, my understanding is it's 25% of your income up to a certain point. When I started in 2019, I think it was 56000 I think it's up to 59000 for 2021, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe 58000 My CPA knows best. And I have a financial advisor who invests all of that with me. I talk with him probably quarterly. And then besides that, you can always look and talk to your CPA and your financial advisor about whether a backdoor Roth is good for you or not. There are multiple things that you can invest in if you have a good financial advisor and then certainly always looking at things like stock market, property rentals, or property, if that's something that you want to do for passive income. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to plan for your future, and you can never start too soon, as we see on the floors all the time. Mm -hmm. True.
0: Anything else you've come across, Catherine?
1: I personally use the SEP IRA. There are some other retirement options that you can use. There was some version of a 401k that I don't exactly remember the details of. And I was comparing and contrasting the two. And then with my CPA I decided on which one was going to be best for me. And that was a IRA. And then I use off the marketplace. I do a high deductible health plan so that I can invest in an HSA. And then mm-hmm. I do personal, stock investments. I also do real estate. So I do have a couple of properties that I manage and own. So there's a ton of different options. You can be really creative and those aren't specific just to physicians, but just as a 1099 employee or a human out and about, you know, (laughs) (laughs)
0: are there other things that you guys can think of that? I just don't even have any idea of what to ask you about other benefits of being locums happiness.
1: Yeah.
2: What
1: is your factor? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I mean, when I think about the benefits of locums, I don't think of the financial benefits first and foremost, I think those are, are kind of tricky to piecemeal together and they work out just fine. But the lifestyle and that ability to just love your job and love the time away from your job, love the time at your job, just love everything about your life is fantastic. Every day is an adventure for me. Every day I enjoy, and I owe a lot of that to locums and that lifestyle. So I think that's where the wins are there for me.
2: I have to second all of that. I have such good friendships through some of the hospital programs that I contract with. There's hospitalists that I work with at some of these jobs that were like, all right, we're planning a girls weekend vacation. And so many of them welcome me and treat me as part of the team, even though I come in every so often. Just even having the flexibility of, Speaking with a medical director at one of the hospitals in Colorado and saying, Hey man, I was thinking about like spending six weeks out here. How does October, November look for you guys? Yes, we'll take you. And so now I have six weeks of work and I get to see the aspens turning gold. In the fall time, which I've never had the opportunity to do before, I hear from all the locals of, yeah, that's the hike everybody goes to, but you want to check out this one for the wildflowers. and." I truly have worked with some incredible groups. Each of them, they court me to join them full time. And I always think to myself, I like you guys. So I I don't want to join because it's so stressful to be back into that permanent environment again. Whereas I can go in that easy breezy person who I can listen to them venting the very valid Concerns and complaints that they have for their institution, and validate their experience and tell them, you're right, that is frustrating. And then at the end of the day, it's water rolling off my back. I'm not invested in that system. I don't have to fix anything. I can create certain boundaries, whether it's departments or specialists or whomever, of, you know, hey, I expect this kind of communication. I won't get reprimanded for being too assertive necessarily. And at the end of the day, I actually do get along really well with a lot of the specialists and I'm out mountain biking with them or hiking with them. And it's really a great lifestyle. You meet so many interesting people. And again, you learn so many diverse ways of practicing medicine or even practicing a efficient workflow. Sometimes those are the keys that you need to learn that you go, Oh, this can be a better way of doing this every day for the next 30 years.
0: (laughs) It sounds more sustainable than some of the permanent jobs. I think.
1: Yeah. I know I'm working a fairly full-time schedule, but I feel like I'm retired. It just feels so great to be able to do this. And it's, definitely something I can keep up for decades on end and not feel like I've missed out on anything from my professional life to my personal life.
0: I think you've just convinced me to do it. My husband's going to be so upset because I think we're tied to this area, but I'm just going to tell him I'm joining (laughs) you guys.
2: Quite (laughs) frankly, I I know locums who they work it out with their spouse and their kids, depending on what age the kids are in terms of their, how independent they are, but I know plenty of locums and especially women locums who are out there, they're working seven days on, they come home and the seven days that they're home, they are fully present with their family because they're not having to go to or call into meetings. They're not having to manage emails. One of them told me I am more present for my family as a locums than if I try to juggle being a parent and a full-time employee.
0: That makes sense. Sounds like you're having a little me time. So you can enjoy the family time as well. We're going to get you out mountain biking with us. Once <laughs> <switch them open. laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have talked a lot about the flexibility that you have and making your own schedules. What about the contracts? How does that work?
2: Yeah. So I went into locums very naive. I came from the permanent of making this much an hour, but not factoring in benefits initially and looking at the hourly rate and going, oh, that looks so good. And so I accepted the first couple of jobs with the rate that was offered. And I've had a huge rowing experience from them. But one of the things that's really great about having a locums contract, there's a lot of debate in the locums physician community about pro locums companies, anti locums companies, direct contracting. But one of the things that is a limitation on your rates is a standard set by the AGMA and the MGMA. So by having a contract through a locums company, you can actually get higher hourly rates. As somebody with 10 years of experience as a hospitalist, one thing that I'm able to do is set a rate that's a little bit higher than most of my competitors. And I always come back to them and say, I'm highly efficient. I rarely stay over the hours, whether it's a 10 hour shift or a 12 hour shift. It's very rare for me to ever work later than that. As a locums, I write ACP notes, advanced care planning notes, which are what, 0.45 RVUs. that, no, I don't get that reimbursement back directly, but it does help the group. And I write them on nearly every patient that I have that doesn't have an ACP note already. So I do help the company in that sense. I write very highly billable notes. My notes are very thorough. They hit core quality measures. Many hospital systems find that I am worth the rates that I set. I also think that it's very important that people who go into the locums field make sure that they are getting paid what they are worth. It's great that instead of being a salaried employee, that you hear the argument back from administrators of, oh, you stayed over on those days, but there's days that you get done with your work early and you leave a little early. So it all balances out. Doesn't matter as a locum. So if I have a day that I'm early, I still get paid that full contracted day. And if there's days that I stay one, two hours late, I always give feedback back to that system. And I say that happened because either I had a rapid response late in the day or a patient was decompensated, or these are the workflow inefficiencies that I face at your system that I don't face at other places. And I will bill for you not being efficient. And I don't find that they tend not to argue with me when I am direct about knowing my worth, always know your worth as a locums. Don't take the cheaper job just because it's what's out there. That likely means there's a lot under the table or hidden from the contract that you don't know about when you show up to that job.
0: And Catherine, I think as part of your job as an OBGYN, not only are you covering hospital, but you also have clinic. Do you build Mm -hmm. some things into your contract that are clinic specific?
1: Yeah, my contracts have been a little bit different from one location to the next. And so I just try to make sure that I know exactly what I'm signing. I mean, that's always an important piece of information to have good education and good understanding, whether we're locums or a permanent provider, contracts are always super important. I do full scope for the majority of the jobs that I do. So I'll be in clinic, I'll be in the OR, I'll be on call those calls are going to be 24 hours at a time and I'll have callback and all of that. So there are a bunch of different rates that are built in. Weekends are typically different than weekdays because of that clinic component. Some of the systems have a flat rate for clinic plus call and then additional hourly rates. Some of them bill separately for the clinic component and the call component. Each assignment is a little bit different. And some of it seems to be more specific to some of the locums companies that I've worked with, that they have a more general structure that they like to work within but it's always negotiable it's always important to negotiate for what you're looking for. The rates are negotiable, the schedules negotiable. So I try to get pretty specific because I know what type of schedule I like. I try to make the language as specific as possible in my contract, knowing that everybody always has the option to communicate. I mean, once you get there, sometimes you find out, oh, you know, it's not a terribly busy hospital. It's not a big deal to me. If I need to pick up one or two extra calls, I know I'm going to be compensated for them. But if they ask for it, I know where my bandwidth lies. So there's really a lot of opportunity to do that. Some people will put caps on the number of patients they see in clinic in a day. I have a mental cap that I keep in mind and I try to build my clinic structure so that it accommodates that. And I communicate that with the hospitals. And so far that's been very well received. It's just specific to every assignment. You know, when you work all over the country and all different hospital systems, and some of them are going to be a lot busier, some of them are going to be a little bit quieter. I have to just understand. And there's... A 30 day out with your locums also for the termination clause, which also gives you a lot of opportunity to continue to negotiate so you can basically make changes as long as you're giving them more than 30 days advance notice you can say this is what I'm thinking based on the information that I have, I'd like to adjust to this for the upcoming months and have that conversation at that point as well. So it is nice that you're not waiting in a permanent position. You might be waiting for their next budget cycle or academic cycle or something like that before you can actually see some of those changes take place, but you can see things happen pretty quickly in the locums world. That sounds good.
2: Those are really important points. One of the big ones is just making sure everything is in writing. Early on in my locums career, I did have in writing that when I rounded Monday through Friday, there would be a physician assistant with me at one of the community hospitals that I had contracted with, except during the holiday season, that PA was able to take her PTO. And so suddenly I showed up to work with no second rounding team. And it was an open ICU hospital and I had 33 patients and I was managing vents and drips. And it was one of the worst experiences in my life. And because they violated that contract, I was actually able to turn in my badge and terminate within that 30 days. And then I just terminated the contract altogether. Another benefit of having these things in writing is when I work holidays, I get paid time and a half. When I work at a critical access hospital, I have a set base rate that covers certain hours that I will be in-house and available. But when I am in the little call room that's off the hospital if I get called back in from certain hour from a certain hour to a certain hour, I get paid $200 an hour for each hour of callback. And, you know, document, document, document everything that you do, and uh, the number of patients that you see. However, because I am an ethical locums, I've never run up the clock before, I always have adequate documentations when submitting my timesheets. I've never been questioned by any of the 15 hospital systems I contract with. I've never had a problem. They're always happy to have me back. They're always asking me, you know, as soon as they're making that schedule, where can we fit you in? But very important to have everything in writing. Don't take somebody's word for something or, oh, they said they would do this. Make sure it is written in stone. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) We all know that leadership can change. So one person who made a promise to you and has every intention of keeping that promise to you might not be there in two months or two years or whenever you're having this conversation again in the future. And if they have a replacement at that point, who might have a different point of view, if it's not in writing, it's not going to be upheld as you perhaps expected it to be.
2: I've seen that as a hospitalist where the rounding census is expected to be 14, 15, her team, and then contracting companies such as Sound or somebody like that come, HCA, whoever comes in, and now suddenly it's. 18, 19, 20 patients that you're expected to see. If you don't have that in your contract that you cap at a certain point, or if you are willing to see more patients than the initial cap, you are compensated X amount. If the expectation was just based off of a loose agreement of them just being nice and holding to their word, it won't stand. It won't hold water. It all makes sense.
1: Yeah. We were all talking about how having these caps and guidelines and incorporating this language in there that we are using to protect ourselves is also really there to help make us our best physician selves for our patients. So it really does allow us to be very present with our patients, knowing that the workload that we have for the day is within reason and lets us pay really close attention and really be there to listen and really make sure that we're making decisions that are the best for our patients and within their goals and expectations as well. And when we list some of these caps that we suggest, it could sound to some like, oh gosh, well, do they want to (laughs) work? Are they lazy or something? Like you could throw out adjectives like that, but it's not that at all. It's this sense of, we love what we do and we want to do it at the pace and the volume that makes us the, Best that we can be so that we can have great outcomes for our patients and have really great rapport with everyone and just enjoy everything about it. I mean, it sounds like you've both made this
0: a sustainable career, you know, by doing the locums and seeing the world, setting the limitations that keep it pleasurable for you.
2: So yeah, limitations on committees, you know, we're not juggling our patient schedule and our patient volume with committee meetings that can't otherwise be scheduled around our schedule. We don't have tons of emails (laughs) that we have to sift through.
0: You make it sound very enticing. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to you both for coming back on the show. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll have reason to cross paths again. Thank thanks you for all, having
1: us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Tammy and uh-huh. Danny.
0: And thanks to all the listeners for joining us this week. In the next few weeks, we're going to start exploring some topics about real estate investing, disability insurance, and then talk more about contract negotiations with John Appino. I hope you'll all join me next week on Grand Rounds.